Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. All 
right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and joined once again by the lovable, fluffable... Kyle! Kyle Lovable and fluffable. What does the fluffable Uh, mean? We'll find out in this podcast. uh, Today, this is episode 76, where we'll be talking about a very... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Racially tensed uh, movie. Uh, Uh, This is probably the the first movie since uh, we did... um, 12 Angry Men that has the racial undertones, prejudices, um, but we are doing the great Sidney Poitier in the heat of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle suggested this movie. He wanted to do this movie, and I, I thank you for it. It was a really great movie. So, Kyle, take it away. All right. In the heat of the night. It's hard not to sing the song. <laughs> but that was in the heat of the night, released on um, August 2nd, 1967. Directed by Norman Jewison. Writers include Sterling Siliphant, uh, wrote the screenplay, and inspired by this, a book by, I guess, the same name, written by John Ball. Producers was Walter Mershitz. Composers were Quincy Jones. Cinematographer was Haskell Wexier. Editor was Hal, Hal Ashby. And casting director was Lynn Stylemaster. Um, for the budget, we have two only two million dollars which would be the equivalent of about 16.9 million today but for the gross here on imdb at least it's listed as only making twenty-seven thousand six hundred sixty-nine thousand uh, uh twenty-seven thousand six hundred sixty-nine hundred dollars which is practically nothing that would have been equivalent of like a quarter million dollars in today's currency so it's just like for an opening opening weekend for like a film uh, actually this is gross worldwide so probably for the whole year um, basically nothing <laughs> that's incredibly sad which is, you're about to find out though it did win oh it certainly won and in, in the long run I'm sure it did just fine right um, moving on to the technical details here we have a runtime of 110 minutes um, for the sound mix we have a mono mix at from West Trek sound. Color info, this is a color film. Well, I mean, um, the, this movie, if you're going to watch it, there is, um, and this is why we put our disclaimer at the beginning of these, is because different time, different era, people weren't treated uh, equally. This film is all about, you know, like showing the ugly side of racism. Um, but, not only that, the, but, no. but not only that, by the end of the movie, the sheriff and Sidney Poitier's character, Mr. Virgil Tibbs. Tibbs. Detective Virgil right. Tibbs. Uh, you can see they have a mutual friendship forming. Appreciation, right? yeah. So. It, it, it goes in a positive way, but it's still a very, um, you, know, it, you know, it depicts a lot of the ugliness of racism, especially down south in like Mississippi and places right. like that, um, that you would associate with in the, during the time of the 60s. A very sad time, and unfortunately, in some ways, we haven't improved as far as we hoped. But so, also. Uh, so, just a trigger warning um, they use a lot of. Racial um, situations, racial uh, wording, if you language, will. Language, yes, right. Um, um, yeah. So, uh, but it's a good movie. It's it's an excellent film. It's one of my favorites. That's why I kind of like I, I I've been pushing for this one for a few months now. Honestly, just trying to get on the log, and we finally got the time for it made sense. And uh, so that's going to push. And that's what we have it going on right now. But um, it's absolutely one of my favorites. It's a great um, movie, and I feel like it's uh, you know. Um, it's no secret the past few years we've definitely had some difficult times stiffly around the issues of race mm-hmm. and I think it's a good film to kind of um, uh, um, both you know fortunately unfortunately this film was kind of relevant today and kind of understanding the the difficult relationship and history of uh, authorities and um, and uh, people of color 
Um, but anyways, uh, that's going back to the technical details, which I just got, I got off topic on there. Um, we went on to the aspect ratio, which is 1.85 by 1. Um, camera was the Michelle BNCR. Uh, for the laboratory, we have the deluxe um, laboratory was in Deluxe Hollywood in US of A. The film length is 310 meters in um, Sweden. I don't know why it has that particular um, uh, technical detail there for the jargon. Um, but process is spherical. <laughs> Next up, we're moving on to the and most important of the whole thing, the awards. Blah, 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 blah. And the awards were huge for this film. Very. Um, I, and I did not know this when I watched this movie. And his early charge as well. Um, so, um, so unfortunately, this was um, a Nineteen sixty-eight. It was going to be um, a few. Um, it was going to be the original uh, airing for the Oscars. Was uh, going to be I forget the exact date it was, but essentially about the, it was the exact same same time that uh, Martin Luther King was uh, unfortunately assassinated, mm-hmm. and so they delayed the Oscars um, by a few days and then uh, recaptured it. And at the, for the Oscars in nineteen sixty-eight, it actually in the heat of the night won Best Picture. Um, so. That was a huge honor for that um, film overall, and I think it's well-deserved for 1968. Um, also, um, Oscar winner for Best Actor in a Leading Role was for Rod Steyer, who was playing um, um, Chief Bill Gillespie. Gillespie, sorry, words. <laughs> and then we have um, Oscar winning for Best Writing for Screenplay by Some Material from Another Medium. That went to Sterling Siliphant. Then we also have an Oscar win for Best Sound um, for the Samuel Goldwyn Sound Department. Then we have a best Oscar, another Oscar win for best film editing for to Hal Ashby. Then we have another Oscar nominee, which is not a full win for best director for Norman Jewisman. Then another Oscar nominee for best effects um, with the best set sound effects for James Richard. Then moving on to the BAFTA awards, we have a winner for best um, uh, foreign actor went to Rod Steiger. Uh, for the UN award, um, we went to winner for Norman Jewisman. Jewisman, Jewison. Oh, sorry, there we go. Can't get that word right. The BAFTA Film Award nominee for Best Film from Any Source went to Norm, Norman Jewison. And another moving on to we have the American Cinema Editors USA. We have a we have a nominee for Best Edited Film um, for Hal Ashby. Then we have the Edgar Allan Poe Awards in 1968. We have the Best Motion Picture Award going to Sterling Siliphant. Then we have the Golden Globes. Best Motion Picture Award for Drama. Um, Golden Globe Award for Best Actor with Drama for Rod Steiger. Then we have a Golden Globe winner for Best Screenplay. Best Director um, nominee. And Best Actor nominee. And Lee Grant also got a Best Supporting Actress nominee. And another nominee for Best Supporting Actress, Quinn Dean. Then we have the um, Grammy Awards, actually, for Best Original Score, written for a motion picture or television show. The writer was Quincy Jones, but the song, of course, was performed by the legendary Ray Charles. Ahead, I know you're <laughs> waiting. In the heat <laughs> of the night. It's such a good song. It is, it, He's been singing it all it, morning. It's, a, it's great earworm. It gets in there. <laughs> uh, um, we have the Kansas City Film Critics Circle Awards in 1967. It was the winner for Best Actor and went to Rod Steiger. Whew. We have a lot of awards here to go, folks. <laughs> then we have the Laura Awards for 1968, going to Golden Laura, the Golden the Golden Laura Laurel Award for drama. Then the male dramatic performance went to Rod Steiger, and the male dramatic performance went to Sidney Poitier. Next, going forward, we have the National Film Preservation Board in the USA of 2002. It was a National Film Registry winner, so now it's part of the National Film Registry. 
Then we have the National Society of Film Critic Awards. It was the NSFC Award for winner of Best Actor went to Rod Steiger. And then Best Cinematography um, went to Haskell Wexler. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on forward, we have awards for the New York Film Critics Circle Awards for the, for the award of Best Film, Best Actor with Rod Steiger, and Best Director went to Norman Jewison. Whew. Online Film and Television Association in 2012, we have the um, Film Hall of Fame winner went to character Sidney Poitier. Then we have the Online Film and Television Association Awards in 2016. We have the Hall of Fame winner for Best Motion Picture. Also went to the film for Andy of the Night Awards. Then we have the St. Jordi Awards for Best Foreign Film. Went to Norman Josen. Best Performance in a Foreign Film went to Rod Steiger. Then we have the Writers Guild of America in 1968 for Best Written American Drama. Um, given to Sterling Tipperfan. That's the winner. And that is the awards. You're uh, right there, bud. The, uh, that, was a, the that was a long awards. That might be the most you've mm-hmm. ever done. I, that is definitely, um, yeah, definitely the heaviest load I've taken on. Um, until after, the cast now. <laughs> until the cast now. Which he, had is also, do, he had to do the cast until he reached I, one single person. I, I, he, he wanted to make sure this person I, got in there. Exactly. And it was the very last one. So he yeah. his notes are so, written. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely, I, I filled out the whole page this time. Um, but anyways, for the cast for In the Heat of the Night, we of course have Cindy Poitier playing Detective Virgil Tibbs. Um, Cindy Poitier, definitely known, um, actually legendary actor and a uh, huge life, um, even outside of his work of acting, a huge life in his own life. Um, he, of course, is best known for films like um, I Guess Who's Coming for Dinner in 1967 of the same year. Um, also for um, Two Sir with Love. Um, in 1963, Lily's on the Field. And the uh, 1958 film, The Defiant Ones. Um, Cindy Poitier, just a legendary actor's own writing. Great actor. Also, uh, 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 native of the Bahamas, but also born in Miami, so he's a Bahaman and an American citizen. A Bohemian. A Bohemian. A Bohemian (laughs) citizen, sorry. That's the correct pronunciation. I'm going to butcher this a little bit here. (laughs) Um, Yes, and also he was actually an ambassador to Japan as a Bohemian representative to Japan, which is insane to me. So he's an incredibly eventful life. I believe he's 94 years old now, so uh, he's definitely uh, still alive, still kicking. Great guy. Um, definitely <laughs> worthy of all the praise he receives. Next up, we have Rod Steiger playing Chief Bill Gillespie, another great actor in his own right. We, he appeared in nine such films as the 1954 film On the Waterfront, 1964 film The Pawnbroker, and another 1964 film Duck You Sucka. Um <laughs> That's a great. I, I just I love that title. I made sure to get that in. He was in other films too, but I saw that and like that one. That's the one that gets in. That's one counting. Next up, we have Warren Oates playing Officer Sam Wood. He was in such films as the 1969 The Wild Bunch, the 1973 film Badlands, 1981 Stripes, 1974 uh, in the 1974 film Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. That sounds awesome. I know, right? That was a great name. Was that the, a lot of these stuff? I'm just taking notes of like, oh, that's a great name for a film. I'm going to have that be the note <laughs> that I have for this <laughs> cast here. Going forward, we have Lee Grant playing Mrs. Colbert. Uh, she was in such film as the 1951 film Detective Story. Um, she was uh, in the film 2000, 2001 film Mulholland Drive. And the 1975 original movie Shampoo, the uh, musical, I believe that's how I believe so. Then we have a, um, Larry Gates playing. Eric Endicott. Um, he was in fresh films as the 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1958 um, Cat on the Hot Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, 
And then we have the 1967 film, Hour of the Gun. Another great title. Then we have James Patterson playing Mr. Purdy. Um, he was in the 1972 film, Silent Night, Bloody Night. The 1969 film, Castle Keep. And the 1964 film, Lilith. Uh, take a breath here. Gotta breathe. Make sure don't spit on the pages. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have William Charlotte playing uh, Mayor Schubert. Um, he was in such films as the 1957 film, The Tarnished Angels. The 1967 film, Hour of the Gun 2. He was also in Hour of the Gun. And he was in the 1987 film, Inner Space. That's we have, a good movie. Uh, Inner Space is a movie uh, we got to put them on the list someday. <laughs> uh, then we have Bay Richards playing Mama, Ka- Mama Kaliba. Um, she's also known for um, the 1967 film Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, um, the 1972 film Stanford and Son, and the 1989 film Drugstore Cowboy. Then we have Peter Whitney playing Courtney. Um, she uh, Peter Whitney plays Courtney, um, best known for films such as the 1943 movie Action in the North Atlantic, 1950. Three film The Big Heat, and the other nineteen fifty three film All the Brothers Were Valiant. Yeah. Then we're going on. I'm just gonna go here. Just uh, just just actor and role here. Not other movies they rent. We have Kermit Murdoch playing Henderson, Larry D. Mann playing Watkins, Matt Clark playing Packy Harrison, Arthur Mallet playing um, uh, Flam, Fred Stewart playing Doctor Stewart, Quentin Dean playing Dolores Purdy. Scott Wilson playing Harvey Oberst. And then finally we have Timothy Scott playing Shagbag. <laughs> shagbag. You wanted to make sure you got to I had to get bag. the Shagbag. That was my that was my name wrong goal to get the Shagbag. So and Kyle, the, I'll take the synopsis for you since for I know it. you're about to pass out because <laughs> you spoke a lot and need a drink. Talking's really tough, guys. <laughs> so basically the synopsis of this movie is a murder has taken place. Mm-hmm. In this town of a very important businessman, uh, I can actually right. do a little bit of it. Yeah, right. uh, well, yes, of an important businessman, and they're going to look for suspects because the sheriff's like, "Hey, did anybody see anything? Uh, did you lock down everything?" And so the um, one officer goes and he sees the to the train station, and Sidney Poitier is standing there, who obviously is a black man, sitting there waiting for the I think four a.m. train. I think is yeah, what they said train to Chicago, and he's yes. he's in a suit. Uh, sitting there and this is where it starts because he says get up you know yeah, turn around um, yeah the police officer him. immediately pulls his gun a, a random black man this is obviously gotta be the murderer of the suspect right. I've never seen this black man before so, well the, the, yeah you know. and he's like he's like get in the back of the car you know what are you doing here blah 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 so he takes him to the police station takes him into the chief's office the chief's worried about his air conditioner uh, and he sets up, and then this is where he says, "Hey, what are you doing here?" And then well, we'll just see about that. And he's like, "What do you, you know?" And he's like, "I'm a police officer. Yeah, <laughs> I work in Philadelphia. I'm a d- d- the homicide detective." Yeah. Uh, and he's like, "Well, we'll just see about that. Give me the." He's like, "Call my call my lieutenant. Captain. Yeah, yeah, captain. Call my captain if you don't believe." So he gets on the phone and come verifies. to find out that yes, he is verified. And when uh, he hands Sydney uh, Pudi the phone that the captain wanted to talk to him. He says, you've got to be kidding me. They're not going to want it and all that. So he hands it back to the chief. And it comes to find out that reluctantly that the captain from Philadelphia has told Sidney Poitier to assist assist in any way to figure out this homicide. 
And he's the best. He's the best homicide detective they have. Right. And that's why he's offering his services to them. And Sydney you know. Portier doesn't want to be there. The sheriff reluctantly agrees. Um, and the townsfolk are just beside themselves. You see this through the whole movie where there are racial tensions. There is a, a scene where uh, there is a cotton field with uh, workers in the cotton field. Um, but you can tell there's there's scenes where. Uh, Sidney Poitier is trying. To, well, what's the Tibbs? We'll call him Virgil Tibbs. Virgil Tibbs. Um, Mr. Tibbs. Yeah, where he where he's uh, trying to deduce. Um, like he goes to the car and he tries to find the evidence in the car that the businessman was on. Well, the businessman's wife um, wants to know, hey, what's going on? So they they come to the real quick realization that it was this one guy, and and or and and Virgil's like. No, he's like uh, <laughs> some great yeah. evidence, you know. Uh, he he observes the body in the morgue because uh, they brought this one guy in and he was right handed or left handed. And he's like, nah, eh, the guy who was right handed that killed yeah, him. The or guy whatever. who killed him was definitely right handed. Right. Had to be. So, yeah. um, so he decides to stick around, uh, which to the dismay of a lot of the police officers and a lot of the uh, townspeople, but uh, the. Uh, yeah, the CEO's wife says, "I want this man to stay on the job. He's yeah. the only one." He clearly demonstrated that he's capable. Yeah, so like he's like we have to have this. Like she demands either keep this if man. If he has doesn't to stay, job. I'm taking my company and we're going elsewhere. And you guys depend on my company to support all these jobs and bring all these jobs. So the the whole t- racial tension is all that between the sheriff and him. They gets to a boiling point where he's like, "I'm just leaving." You know, whatever you're gonna do, what you want to do, I'm leaving. So you see the scene where he goes to the train. He's like, "Look," he's like, uh, "I need you to stay." He said, "If she pulls that company out, she's he's like, that's a lot of jobs for for the town people, a lot of jobs for people of your color." You know, he tries to sugarcoat it by saying, "Hey, you know, it's mm-hmm. not only gonna so affect us; it's, it's like, gonna yeah. affect you." Yeah. So he decides to stay. And the payoff for this movie at the end is fantastic. I don't want to ruin anything if nobody has ever seen this, but there's enough twists and turns and the um, determination of Sidney Poitier to get the person that is responsible and how they get there is a great, great Treat. It's 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 so good. It's, just, it's so logically consistent too. It pays off such a great. And I had never seen this like movie before. And I was I've, I'd watched the In the Heat of the Night. Um, the TV show with uh, the great Carol Connor and all them and Bubba and all them. Now, Kyle didn't know there was a TV show, but there was a movie before that where Carol Connor played too, which spun off the TV series. And my son last night when we were watching this, because I had started watching it, and I, was, I was almost towards the end, about last 30 minutes of the movie, and he looked at me he said, Dad, he's like, is that uh, the one guy? I said, you mean from All in the Family? He's like, yeah. I was like, no, no, this was before that. <laughs> but it looks just like him. They captured the aesthetic perfectly, perfectly. in the, in the show. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so basically, it's a murder mystery with a local town sheriff and a black detective from Philadelphia have to work together to find the common killer. Yeah, is it, is it? and it's a little, just a little more of a stage setting thing. Like this all takes place in like uh, Sparta, Mississippi, a fictionalized Sparta in Mississippi during this during the '60s. So Southern town in the '60s. Uh, that's why you have like the racial tension going on there of a random black and successful man, a, a black police officer. Going into the city and being treated uh, <laughs> as poorly as he is, you know what? And, and one of the funniest parts of this movie is when he uh, when he first comes to the police station he, and they go through his wall. He's like, "Where you got all this money from?" He's like, "How much do you make a week?" He said, 
$162.39. He's like, that's more than I make. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it'd be all floored. Like, what do you mean he makes this much? Yeah. <laughs> it completely baffles them. <laughs> it was great. So here we go. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll, 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 we'll hit on this as we go through the movie. But this is a great movie. I'm, Absolutely. You have it. to watch it. Uh, so Sydney Poitier insisted that the movie be filmed in the north because of an incident. Because this was actually filmed in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um because of an incident in which he and Harry Belafonte were almost killed by Ku Klux Klansmen during a visit to Mississippi. That's why Sparta, Illinois, was chosen for locati- uh, location filming. Nevertheless, the filmmakers and actors did venture briefly into Tennessee for the outdoor scenes at the cotton plantation because there was no similar cotton plantation in Illinois that could be used. Poitier slept with a gun under his pillow during production in Tennessee. He did receive threats from local racist thugs, so the shoot was sh- uh, cut short and the production returned back to Illinois. Yeah, and, and that's that's another topic. Like, it is, there are moments of like, it is so, it can be seen as so over the top now that it can almost seem as being as laughably absurd, but it's also depressingly sad and true that that history is so um, very close to us. Right. Uh, like, like you you would think as this film goes, it would be like fictional, over the top or something like that. And then the sad reality is like, if anything, they could have been, they could have been holding Which back. Which was, that's what's great about this. It, this was actually filmed at a time when, when people of color were not treated the same and, there, and it won the Academy Award, mm. you know, the Oscar for the best picture of the thing, which showed that it's still, you know, because they, 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 they were really scared about releasing this in the southern states because they didn't want a backlash yeah. and, and, and riots and all that because a, a black man portrayed in this film as a successful it, it, detective. Yeah. So they were worried about the uh, the money, if you will. The producers were worried about, not the producers, but the uh, investors were worried about the money, the returns of this movie. And you see, like, from, like what IMDb says right here, like it basically made nothing out right. of the movie. So clearly it was like a, almost a boycott to this film to a degree or like suppressed by... Um, Local theaters, I imagine, especially in the South area. So it is, uh, but 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 it also there was no, um, there was no uh, riots or anything because of this movie. It, there's yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. happened. But so. it, it doesn't demonstrate like you know it, it takes a it must have taken a tremendous amount of courage for everyone involved in that film to actually make it in the first place and to release it. And it um, just um, uh, it clearly illustrates all too well. Um, the struggles that have going through uh, that people of color went through in the '60s, and um, to an extent, to struggle with today in many regards, um, you know, for like you know all the worst ills. So it, uh, I don't like the one. I don't. I don't mean to get all too serious here in this podcast, just so that we uh, keep it lighthearted. But also, like it is like a it's a very charged film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one thing you'll notice if you watch this film is the sheriff. Man, he goes through this guy. He chews this guy. All the, the time, the, all the time. <laughs> the whole entire movie, he's, he's, he's gum. So, Rod Steger was asked by the director, Norman Jewison, to chew gum when playing the part. He resisted at first, but then grew to love the idea. Eventually went through 263 packs of gum during shooting. That's a lot of gum. Uh, this was the first major Hollywood film in color that was lit with proper consideration for an actor with dark skin. Haskell Wexler recognized that standard lighting used in film produced too much glare on most black actors and others of dark complexion. He toned down the lighting to feature Sidney Poitier with better results. 
So that's the first case uh, time in history that they actually did that. Yeah, that's also also a still thing that a lot of films struggle with today to a degree. Uh, it's just a, it's a it's a unique knowledge set specifically to um, um, light characters of color in film, and because um, still today the lead man is typically white, um, it could be a little bit of a lost skill to some people. Mm-hmm. Even like now recently, it's a bit of a struggle in films like even like Black Panther or like Watchmen. They have like similar struggles. Like they had to find people and resurrect that knowledge to do it right now. And as in, it hopefully continues to improve. So, um, good overall. According to Sidney Poitier, Tibbs' retaliation slap to Incott, which was Larry Gates, was not in the original script nor in the novel of the uh, film. So basically, um, <laughs> they, they get up, and the, the white guy just hauls off and slaps uh, Virgil. Yeah. And Virgil just slaps him right back. Right back, and immediately. Like, and everybody's just like, instinct. Uh, just pure shock. Right. That is such an iconic scene. Perhaps like the most iconic scene of the actual movie. Poitier insisted that Tibbs slap Endicott back and wanted a guarantee that this scene would appear in all prints of the film. According to the Sterling Siliphant, uh, the slap was in the original script, though it was not in the novel. So... Uh, the scene that took place at the sheriff's house featured dialogue that came out of improvisions between Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger. So if you watch that movie, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, set in a hot Mississippi summer, but filmed during the autumn in Illinois, many of the actors had to keep ice chips in their mouth and spit them out before takes to prevent the breath from appearing on camera during the night scenes. Oh, wow. So that's very <laughs> that's interesting, too. how cold it actually was. And you, can, this morning. <laughs> and you can see it. Um, I forgot exactly where the movie. I think it's at the end where they go to the uh, the diner. Probably like one of the and last scenes. I think you scenes. see Sidney Poitier. There's a little bit of stuff in there. It's like, hey, maybe it's cold out there. Uh, yeah. Similar to kind of like Shining almost. Oh, no. The exact opposite of Shining. <laughs> Mississippi was eventually ruled out as a location to the existing political conditions. Sparta, Illinois was selected as the location and the town's name and the story was changed to Sparta so that local signs would not need to be changed. The greenhouse was added to an existing house and filled with fifteen thousand dollars worth of orchids. Wow! So fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is frequently cited as City Poitier's favorite of all the films that he's done. Yeah, his personal favorite film he's right. done, but also like a favorite of like people who watch his films. The movie's yeah. line, "They call me Mister Tibbs." Was voted as the number 16 movie quote by the American Film Institute. It was such an iconic line. They made that line the sequel of the next film. I know. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> this, distributors hesitated to release this movie, as we said, in southern states because of the potential for trouble and violence due to its theme of racial conflict. As it turned out, there were no reports of violence occurring at any venues in which this film played. So, Excellent. Yeah, that's a good thing overall. Right. Um, yeah. Ironically, Warren Oates and Lee Grant were among Hollywood's group of actors and actresses who played racist roles or were in racist films, but were themselves upfront and vocal in support of the civil rights movement at the same time. Others of this include, included Shelley Winters and William Shatner. I imagine that's such an incredibly, uh, like, a difficult. I, I, I would be incredibly apprehensive if I was an actor being being cast in a racist role. Like particularly like having to play as a, a a very vocally racist person, I would find that very difficult because I would hate for someone to look at my face and ever think that I'd be a racist. But then person. again, you're going out and in the real life, you're an, an activist. Yeah, it's, it's hopefully, like, hopefully you are. It, like, but it's got to be a challenge. It's like you want to keep that balance because like you, like if you're known for having those roles specifically, eventually people are just still going to try and associate you with those characters right. you played. I, I would be incredibly apprehensive to play that and like try and make a big portion of my life being focused and like make sure I'm doing the right things to show people that I'm not that bad person right. or to actually um, um, ever have someone think that like me acting that way would anyway validate a racist person mm-hmm. you know that's gonna be it's tough for an actor to do you know uh, right. the, the sloppy scene we talked about earlier between detective 
Tibbs and um, Endicott was shot in just two takes, and the slaps the characters made to each other's faces were real. <laughs> According to a detailed account Norman Jewison provided in 2011, Jewison let Larry Gates rehearse by slapping him because Jewison wanted to make sure that Gates could slap hard enough. So wow. they didn't want no sissy slaps or bullet slaps. They no, just no, let them have it. Just go for it. No. Uh, Rod Steiger spoke in Southern dialect consistently for the duration of this entire film, which is amazing because sometimes you can see characters lose that as the film goes on, or they love to take in where he didn't. It, it, it's, 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 it goes to show how impressive this film is. Like if you not watched Rod Steiger in any other film, you would just think that's his accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, 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 he, he does it completely naturally to him, to me. Yeah. Uh, this was banned by the South African Publications Control Board, as were many of Sidney Poitier's films. I don't know why, but... Well, the word South kind of leans into it, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. But, I mean, it was a South African publication. Oh, okay, so. maybe, okay. Maybe there's more reasons than yeah. that. Uh, um, Virgil Tibbs was ranked hero number 19 in the heroes category of the AFI's top 100 heroes and villains list. In 2007, the American Film Institute ranked this as the number 75 greatest movie of all time. It was the first inclusion of this film on the list. Because uh, they always update that. Yeah, uh, uh, Bay Richards, who played the abortionist Mama Calaba, uh, Calaba played the mother of Sidney Poitier character in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Mm-hmm. So um, that's pretty amazing that these movies came out the same year and they're yeah. in the two films together. That's great. And also, I got one thing I want to briefly say about that scene in particular. I love the dialect they both share in that scene between Mama Calaba and Virgil Tibbs and how they both speak and like, are you gen drunk and all those other kind yeah. of words and terminology. It completely throws the language of like, this is how they wanted to depict two um, black people speaking to each other in America with a, a little bit of a different southern dialect to them. Very interesting to kind of see mm-hmm. overall. Um, I, you know, I, I cannot say anything with accuracy because of course I don't know, but it was very interesting to see it, the whole kind of mood kind of... S- change up a little bit in that whole little scene. Just a little side note. <laughs> uh, Virgil's salary of $162.39 per week would be roughly $1,285 in 2020. The cash's wallet was $127, which comes to $1,005. So that's how much he had on him. Uh, Virgil says he's not married here, but in the sequel, They Called Me Mr. Tibbs in 1970, he obviously has been for many years. Yeah, yeah. The, um, I've never seen the sequel, so I can't. I, I personally haven't seen the sequel either. Uh, but yeah, but it's very clear. Like in, in the um, scene where probably where um, he's in um, Chief Galepsi's. Well, when we're home. done here. We might go up to the the, the the local video store up here to see if they got this on video DVD. I might have to see that. I'd like to watch mm-hmm. that. Uh, if not, I'm sure it's available online somewhere. Like you can still find the DVDs. It's just it's hard to find digitally nowadays. Which, right. we, which we do most of our films here. George C. Scott was the first choice to play Chief Galepsi, but he was unavailable due to the. Flim Flam Man, 1967. Another great title, Flim Flam Man. Uh, it's always one of the things you miss out on when you're doing it. The brawl that they have, uh, basically, uh, Sydney Poe is getting chased by four white men, and they end up in this, like, warehouse. A train station kind yeah. of thing, yeah. Shipping um, station, no degree. It's a maintenance is what they say. It takes place under a sign that reads, let us all be alert, we don't want anyone hurt. So I was I, like, I saw how, that too. how ironic, yeah. This is the favorite film of actor Danny Glover. Oh, wow. That, that make, it, okay. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> this Danny beat, a, love him. beat a number of films that also went on to become iconic to win the 1968 Oscar for Best Picture, including Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Cool Hand Luke, The Dirty Dozen, Bonnie and Clyde, and The Graduate. In Cold Blood and Dr. Doolittle also com- 
competed that year. So that's a lot of great it's, movies. It's an impressive year for that. <laughs> yeah, for movies in that case. So, AMD E7A number one hundred three. The locomotive feature at the beginning of the end of the uh, at the beginning and end of this film originally purchased by the Alton Railroad and acquired by GMO and O in nineteen forty seven when it brought uh, bought out Alton. The producers rented the train and the crew for this movie. Mm-hmm. Robert Mitchum was offered the role of Galepsi, but he declined. Uh, this is the only Best Picture Oscar nominee that year to be also nominated for Best Sound Effects, which is interesting in its own right too. It's it's one of those things like like when the sound effects are done so perfectly, you don't really notice it necessarily. Um, but it's just like everything was done so right, you don't think about it. That's right. That makes it all the more impressive. Now, now, now this is one of the crazy facts. So I'm going to throw that in here for the kids. Sir Mix-a-Lot's song. Sleeping with my funk includes the line "check in like Virgil Tibza." So <laughs> I had to throw that in there because, yeah, yeah. if Sir Mixlot loves it, you know it's good. That's <laughs> that's that's what you got to take home for you guys. Respect Sir Mixlot too. Get your uh, knowledge, kids. <laughs> uh, he when, likes big butts. When director Norman Jewison and editor Hal Asby attended a sneak preview for this film, they found that the young audience was laughing uproariously at the dialogue. Although Jewison was upset that his dramatic film was not being taken seriously, Ash. Ashby assured him that the audience was laughing in approval of the Southern Sheriff being put in his place by the confident and urban detective Virgil Tibbs. Agreed. Jewison did not agree until the film got to the famous slapping scene when the white audience was stunned at seeing an African-American man physically fight back against a white man for the first time in modern mainstream American film. Jewison uh, was convinced the film was effective as a drama. Absolutely. Totally agree. Right. Yeah. Uh, when Virgil Tibbs' car is being pursued through the junkyard possibly an hour into this film, the camera tilts up from a close-up of a discarded baby doll lying among the debris. This subtly foreshadows the fact that an abortion is central to the murder mystery plot, which I didn't understand that at the time, but going back, you can tell. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I didn't realize that time either. At, well, I didn't realize it until just now until again explained to me. Right. Yeah. Now and also like uh, one of the things like um like um I may have notes here later on but I know it's like as soon as they get to Endicott's um estate uh, basically as soon as they go up to the entrance you see the um, the statue of a uh, uh I want to say a caricature of a basically a black servant basically in full on black face and red lips and all those kind of things a uh, a racist character if you will oh well, it's and, like, it's one of them. Uh... One of them statues that you see, like basically out with the lantern out in the yards. Yes, one of those things. This is right. clearly like an old racist character version of those, like to clearly signify immediately before we even see Endicott how he feels about black people yeah. <laughs> as as being uh, servile to the white race. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, when Harvey is being chased through the woods, there are shots from Harvey's point of view as he looks around the woods. If you look at the bottom of the screen where you're supposed to see Harvey's shadow, his shadow is that of the cameraman with the camera clearly mounted on his shoulder. <laughs> so, uh, in the final scene when Galepsi puts Tibbs on the train, the shadow of the boom microphone can be seen on the station house. Uh, calendars in the diner and the sheriff's offer, office differ by many months. So... <laughs> I mean, there's just the continuity of this stuff. Sometimes it's, it's, it's somebody just just overshadowed. She got dropped the ball some ways. You know, like this film was only made for two million dollars a time, sixteen point nine million dollars worth of today. That's a very modest movie even for that time. So getting some of those continuity errors wrong, it's forgivable. And this right. is something I pointed out to Kyle earlier that I caught this during the movie. But when inspecting the body in the morgue, Tibbs inspects the left hand, and after placing the hand down, the body takes a short breath of air. So I was like, <laughs> that is pretty hilarious. Yeah. Uh, when Virgil is in the morgue help examining the corpse, the clock on the wall stays on the same time throughout the discussion and the examination. 
And it's supposed to be a very hot summer, yet Mrs. Colbert and Chief Gillespie are walking around in a coat and a jacket. So, uh, very interesting. And and, and, and um, Sidney Poitier is walking around in a suit most of the movie, so it's very interesting. And you always wondered why he never changed, because he had a suitcase there, you know what I mean? If, he clearly had something to dress into, but right. yeah. But if, uh, most detectives you know, usually do dress up nice like that. So, Kyle... What's your thoughts, feelings, take on the movie In the Heat of the Night? Well, I think I made my thoughts on it pretty clear throughout the entire podcast here. It's definitely <laughs> a, a movie I enjoy thoroughly. I love this film. This season, my favorite of Sydney Potier film overall and um, absolutely deserves all the awards it's got. And I think it's worth watching all the time. I've probably seen it probably close to a dozen times in the past year alone. Um, so I think it's one of the favorite films of all time. And uh, really enjoy it. It's incredibly relevant today, even, and uh, it can be uh, it can be a hard film to watch for that reason. I understand that that's um, if you're in that kind of place in life right now. Um, but um, it's also a very very strong and powerful film in its own right. So um, I truly love it. Recommend anyone who has um, it's definitely an adult film, so don't take kids to go see it. Obviously, but uh, if if it, uh, if you're interested in mature crime drama, then you should absolutely check out this film. I love it and recommend it to anyone and everyone who's uh, 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 who's uh, mature enough to appreciate it. So, uh, Jimbo, how do you feel? <laughs> it's a great movie. Uh, it's my first time watching it. Um, Sidney Poitier just plays such a great role in this film. Amazing. Um, and and you know it's kind of a. a, a I'm kind of disappointed that he didn't win, uh, like, um, male performer actor yeah. at yeah, the Oscars. And all those things kind of went to Rod Steiger. Right, um, you know. because he, Sidney Poitier's character in this movie was fantastic uh, as Virgil Tibbs. Um, it shows it shows how the South was, and maybe some parts still is in America, um, and, and why racism was wrong. Uh, but, man, uh, just to see how the racist sheriff... And you know what? And and the sheriff did point out that Virgil Tibbs was racist too, because if you remember the scene, he's like, uh, he said, "Oh, so we're really not that different." Oh yeah, you're just like all of us, right? Know? Yeah. And I thought, and then that's when Virgil Tibbs was like, "Oh man, I am." Yeah, yeah. Again, and I liked well. it. Um, that I thought that was a great, great part of the movie um, mm-hmm. because he had basically stooped to their level and. The same prejudices that they had, he ha- he may have and had he, some too. And when he caught it, he recognized it in himself and immediately kind of corrected that to actually get back on the case. Right. And uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, this is your review part there too, but I got to mention one more part too. Like, um, part of what I love about Rod Steiger's you know role in as uh, Bill Gillespie is that he's uh, of all the racist people in the story, it's clear that um, Gillespie is like an open-minded one. That as soon as he sees uh, everything that that Virgil Tibbs does. He immediately realizes that all of the not immediately, but he 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 begins to realize that all of this racist baggage he has is complete hogwash, right? Um, basically, and and know. I think you really see that come to fruition when they've got uh, Virgil Tibbs cornered, the four white guys with chains and 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 the tire irons and all that in that shed mm-hmm. or whatever uh, that the cop walks in. And um, they all look at him. He's like, "All right, now, now, just going on out of here." And and they all just kind of look at him. What, what are you going to do, sheriff? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he ends up punching one in the stomach. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all that. So uh, he says, "I said, get out of here." And he does something else to the other one. I can't remember. He just slaps him or something. And I think I think it's at that moment. Um, that you actually see the character development of the the chief, you see a little bit before that, but yeah, I mean, he, he like it, it's uh, it, it's it's messy in a very realistic way where um, he's not um, 
he, he's aware of how absurd this all is, but also how powerless he is to change it. Where like he's still he's still um, he's still the chief. He still has to protect these people and like govern them as best he can. But also know it's like the best he can really do for Virgil Tibbs is just get him out of town, right? Because that's for his safety and for the safety of the town. Because he knows that if like if if Virgil Tibbs get murdered in that town, then like you've murdered an officer in the town. They're gonna send FBI and all right. that kind of thing. It's like it's gonna be a huge mess. For and that I think thing. you see that when you know. <sighs> I don't want to give away too much of this movie because it's such a great, but you see that when the chief has the one suspect because he made a big donation or a deposit yeah. into his bank. He's like, look, I've been collecting this stuff. I take the smaller bills. I change them to $20 bills when I get enough and I just deposit $600 into my account. He's like, yeah, and $600 is what is missing from the wallet of the, of, uh, yeah, uh, of uh, Cosby, uh, Colbert, Colbert, Colbert yeah. Mr. Colbert. And, 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 uh, not spoiling there. Yeah. Right. And, um, uh, Virgil Tibbs like, I think you got the wrong person. You got the wrong he's guy. Like, he's yeah. like, look, you need just to get out of here. The mm-hmm. best thing you can do is get out. Yeah, yeah. And so he's leaving, and that's when that girl comes in. And this is where you find out that there's a pregnancy involved, an abortion involved, uh, money exchanging hands, and the killer isn't who you thought it was. And it, it's, I'm not going to say anything because you need to watch this movie. It because goes a lot of really, really crazy good. places. And then just to see the end when uh, Virgil's getting on the train, and um, the sheriff says... Um, I think it's like I, watch after yourself. Or well, he like says that. he says I'll see you later, and then and then he's walking away, and Sidney Poitier is getting on the thing. He's like he said, "Hey Virgil," he's like, "You take care of yourself now." He's like, "Yeah, yeah." Just kind of give a smile. Yeah. And kind of so you like, kind of realize yeah. there was kind of a friendship there, even though there wasn't a friendship there. I guess they, they, they have formed mutual, a mutual mutual appreciation for each other to some degree, and they, yeah, I, they're not they're not going to be friends hanging out, but they're definitely like they recognize they're both good people at heart to a very strong degree um uh, or at least it's virgil realizing that especially in um bill um at the, at the very least and also um gillespie also realizing like virgil's uh, a good person in his own right too and a respectful man not just be seen as a a, a lower black man right. you know uh so definitely a great movie uh thanks kyle for suggesting it i really enjoyed it um hope everybody else does too um, well, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.